0: Welcome to Shiro's Journey, a podcast for Shiro's and the people who love them. Episode 8, The Ordeal. I'm Pamela Prather, and for over 20 years, I've been empowering actors, executives, and curious humans with tools to unlock their voices and tell their stories. Along the way, I found that for me, voice is about more than just how I speak, it's a spiritual journey. It's about connecting my inner voice to the outer world. It's about breath, resonance, and deep listening. It's how I show up every day as a coach, a mom, a friend, a sister, a poetic soul, and a passionate human. The structure of Shiro's Journey podcast is loosely based on the path outlined by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero's Journey. But it's from a woman's perspective. And in each episode, I talk with awesome shiros as they answer the call to adventure, battle the dragons and ultimately win. Plus, there is a segment called me and the kid, a chat with my 11 year old son that allows us to experience the world through the open eyes and candid voice of my kiddo. I hope you'll find inspiration, fuel, and even a little laughter as you imagine how you can amplify your own journey in the world. Hello, friends, and thank you once again for joining the Shiro's Journey adventure with me. Today's episode focuses on stage eight of the Shiro's Journey. In our last episode, you might remember, Rachel Sessions helped us explore the inmost cave, and now we have made it to the ordeal bum 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 yeah this is a tough part of the journey it is where our shiro is experiencing a major hurdle or obstacle and sometimes this is known as the supreme ordeal this danger is often a life or death moment that is either physical but more often psychological it is when we come face to face with our own weaknesses and we have to overcome them and in that moment, it just feels impossible. I think we've all been there, right? You know, it's that rock bottom place. And each time in your life, when you make it through the ordeal, those lessons, that event, the wisdom, it really lives with you forever because it's only through some form of death that our inner Shiro can truly be reborn. And this metaphorical resurrection illuminates the insight necessary in order to fulfill your destiny. It's that time when everything you hold dear is put on the line. Without a doubt, it is the fork in the road. I am reminded of, yeah, I'm a kid at heart, yeah, the Wizard of Oz, okay? So I'm thinking of that part where the wizard ends up being this little man behind the curtain, and the road to that moment, the path, into that innermost cave reveals an almost unimagined reality. Dorothy's gone on this long, 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 long journey and all these different tests and the wizard is a fraud and Dorothy's child must die to find the strength to persevere and carry on. And I am just reminded of so many moments in my own life, but there is this one particular moment that this death that led to a rebirth for me. And the one that I'm thinking of has to do with the kid, who you know, my son, right? Now, some of you might know the story. When I was in my 20s, I never thought I wanted to have a kid or be a mom. And I was in grad school at UCLA. And my shiro sister from episode five, Deborah DeLiso, said to me, wait until you hit your 30s, Pammy. You're going to feel that longing in you. I know it. <laughs> she was so right. You know this story has a happy ending because you've met my kid in this podcast series, but what you might not know is that I went through multiple miscarriages, surgeries, and three failed IVF treatments. (laughs) And if any of you listeners have gone through some of these experiences, you know how hopeless it can feel and how out of control. So my heart is with you. But I didn't give up. I really didn't. I I kept pursuing this vision for my desire to become a mother in some way, right? And I met this 80-year-old acupuncturist, yes, 8-0, 80-year-old, through a series of happenstances. And I remember him opening his desk drawer and looking over his silver-rimmed glasses and showing me a stack of baby pictures, you know, just all developed. People had sent him all these announcements. And he said to me with a twinkle in his eye, you are not the oldest woman I've gotten pregnant. (laughs) And so it has become a little bit of a joke that the acupuncturist got me pregnant. However, (laughs) I'll never forget that feeling uh, that I had, that feeling of surrender, right? That feeling of truly letting go and allowing, right? That deep knowing that I had done everything I could do And now I had to pause and let the magic unfold. I had to sit in my own personal supreme ordeal to experience the metaphysical death of how or what I thought should happen. And would you believe two months of acupuncture and a night of margaritas led to my mystical child choosing me to be his mom? Today's guest is a mom, a guide, and truly an inspiration in authentic living, Faye Simpson's 20-year career in dance and theater is informed by a psychophysical process of introspection, exertion, and mental challenge, which empowers actors to express their fullest potential, and regular people, too. She conducts private classes and workshops in her Manhattan studio, the Lucid Body House, and she also offers a two-year teacher training program, which has produced 11 teachers that are teaching around the world. The second edition of her book, The Lucid Body, a guide for the physical actor, first published in 2008, was released again in August of 2020. The book was hailed by the drama bookshop as, I quote, one of the 10 most essential books for the actor. Faye is an associate arts professor at the graduate acting program the Tisch School of the Arts. She's taught at the Yale School of Drama, where we met, (laughs) the new school, among others, and has shared her work internationally as well. You can learn more about Faye and her powerful work by going to thelucidbody.com. And as always, I'll share these details in the show notes. But for now, take us on your walk, your run, in your car, or just find a quiet place to chill and enjoy my heart-to-heart with the one and only Faye Simpson. Who shares with us her experience of moving through the ordeal? I am so, so honored to be in this virtual space with a Shiro sister and to share her with you, amazing listeners. Uh, she is not only kind of a warrior, feminine warrior model, I would say. I remember when I first met her and I just thought, wow, I want to know her. And we were just chatting before we started the recording today. And I feel like Faye Simpson is kind of a, I guess I would say like a soul sister, kind of person that I vibrated with. In another lifetime, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm getting too weird for you guys, but uh, but you know, I'm just going to go there with it. And we are in the ordeal. And Faye has written, as I said earlier, uh, a, an incredible book uh, called "The Lucid Body," I and mean, she talks a lot about chakras and energy and healing in her own journey. But I thought today, as we explore the ordeal, which is that part of you know that deep place where it's really scary it's like that life or death moment and it can be physical it can be psychological and um you know as i said this this podcast is a little bit based on you know joseph campbell uh i mean it's based on the hero's journey but from a woman's perspective right and so we're looking at the shiro in her moment and so i i reached out to Faye to chat a little bit about that. So thank you so much for coming to talk about an ordeal in your life.
1: Welcome. My (laughs) pleasure. So good to to connect with you again. This is an opportunity to just start to share again. I love that we started in laughter. (laughs) (laughs) We saw each other just burst into laughter. I
0: know, it's so great,
1: it's so healing. It's so healing. We've survived, that's how I always feel. Look, I'm still alive. I've survived another day.
0: (laughs) You know, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing to celebrate our lives, you know? And I think sometimes when people are in the middle of an ordeal of some sort, it's super scary. And it's hard to feel like you can get through. And no one, like last month I was talking to, or the last episode, I was talking with Rachel Sessions, this really wonderful shamanic healer. And, you know, it's like, no one can do it for you, but you have these guides along the way. That help, and I wonder if there was a time in your Shiro's journey that you thought about that you'd like to share with people, uh, where
1: you really felt that ordeal happening. I certainly did. Um, I call it picking a wild card that completely changed my life, and is now the reason for the basis of the lucid body work that I do now. So I think I, ha- I was a modern dancer. I was a choreographer. I was- I had a company impact theater creating work and my child I had I had been married, I had a child. We were living on a houseboat. and uh, about and I was living a life. It was extremely exciting creating, partying then we had the baby then the partying stopped on my part but not on his so we separated so Mm -hmm. then I am on my own choreographing I start teaching to try to help with bills and then I so this was around uh 88 the virus, the AIDS virus had started circulating and I was a modern dancer. We were all kind of, kind of laughing about it. Like, Mm. oh, because they were already uh, demonizing homosexuals and we, the artists, the pansexual people were not having it. Right. We, and then So be careful of gay men crying, you know, all of that. We were joking about it. And uh, I did, I separated from my husband and I did sleep with one of my dance partners. And uh, sure enough, a few months later, he comes to me and shows me he's got sarcomas. Holy
0: macaroni. So you're a single mom. Thinking you're, you know, you're reinventing your life, open-hearted, open-loving, and all of a sudden, boom, the wild card. Yeah,
1: creating, creating. That was, I was a choreographer. I mean, I was, if someone said, what what was your career thrust? I was working with Manhattan Class Company. They were co-producing. I was uh, choreographing and devising new material was my thing, and I felt good at it, and I got a lot of acclaim for it. So, you know, I went tested. I got this. I remember the moment that the doctor said, you have tested positive for the AIDS virus. And I was like, at that point, people were dying. People were dropping dead. In that next six-month period, people from the company I had worked with were dying. Um, The dancer that I... Protracted this from, died. Mm. One of my best friends, yeah. And uh, I thought there's two ways of going about a crisis like this. One is to kind of surrender, be a victim, and feel like this is the card you pulled, and I'm going to go down gracefully. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would have chosen that. But the thing is, I had this child. The idea of someone else raising this child was totally unacceptable to me. Completely unacceptable. We both share that we are you know,
0: single moms with one child. And I think there are many women who can really resonate with that feeling of being in that deepest, darkest place. And it's that love yeah. that is going to pull you through. So you're there in the midst
1: of this. And then what? And... Um, just so you know, there's, I can't have any more children. The doctors say at that point, you can now, but at that point, right. So I was looking at suddenly things were changing. Like I thought I would move into, um, acupuncture. They wouldn't accept me because of needles and blood. All of a sudden doors started closing and, um, I started working with different healers. So I started working with a chakra healer and she just started to work with the centers. Yeah. And sort of get me to understand the, how the organs and endocrine glands are all connected and that with, with energetic control and balance, you can help your immune system. Now, some
0: people probably are more or, less familiar with the chakras, but at that point, did you know much about it? And how did you relate to the chakra system?
1: Well, you know, I was a child of the 70s. And so there was the chakras, you know, they were something my girlfriends and I would, would seek these, this out. So it was more like a holistic healing venture that was part of my 20s. So I did know about them, but then suddenly I was going for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, connecting to a Buddhist group. I was always interested in Buddhism, but I, I connected to the Sangha. It's called the Tri Ratna and started a regular Buddhist practice and Buddhist classes. And that's where they they're not the only ones. I was working with a Russian folk healer. And he said the same thing. They all said the ba- the main message was you have to make friends with death. You have to be okay to die. Because if you accept that, that, that that is coming sooner or later, then your immune system is going to relax. And you're not going to be firing the adrenals and putting the whole uh, the vagus nerve going into over sympathetic drive. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, because that was my tendency, my tendency as a, as a Gemini choreographer dancer, was an, I was an overachiever. So this was this different. So this is where my path started to change because I was like, Oh, I can't do five different things. I I, I can only do three. <laughs> and I have to, recognized that today might be my last day. And so it calmed me in a way. And then I went to Arizona and I was uh, hiking and I met the shaman woman. So the shaman woman, she was the one that really not just put me back on track, but she made me thrive, like almost accept this as a gift. Mm. This card Gosh. that I pulled, you know, I don't have shame for sleeping with someone I loved. I don't have shame around that. And that's what a lot of society was saying around HIV that we should be shamed. There was, we were marginalized. And one of the reasons that I made that film is because I was so tired of COVID this COVID, people my age saying, this is the first pandemic we've ever had. This is the first epidemic. And I'm looking at them like, really? Where were you in the 80s and the 90s? When my colleagues were dropping dead, there were funerals, three or four funerals every weekend in Manhattan that were packed and they were young people dying. This was an epidemic. This was a pandemic. It was, it hit the world. Where was everybody? It was because it wasn't, it was marginalized. So it was only connecting to the artists or to the homosexuals or to the drug users. Mm -hmm. Right? And here I was, a, a white female in an advantaged situation where I couldn't talk about it because I didn't want my daughter ostracized. Wow. What a lot to hold as well. And the people that did... I remember I had to, I had to break up with one of my boyfriends after that, because it was like, he, I think he was expecting me to die. He would be the one sacrificing himself while I died. And I just, back to the shaman woman, I had no, she, she basically told me to pick up these rocks and every day for 14 days, look, create a a metaphor for each rock. And readjust them like like you're making a sculpture or a puzzle piece and really work with each one so that you can change your identification with this virus so you can change so that you're not a victim of this virus, Mm. that this virus is something that's part of you, but it's not going to take you. So five, you said. Five
0: rocks and five. Um, I was just talking with somebody about that number, you know, as the body number, a number for transformation. That you know, there's the center of the body and then the limbs of the body, right? So there's the five, and um, and so here you are, and you've got five stones. Did you find the stones, or did she give them to you? Oh, no, you had to go choose them carefully. Okay, so you went to choose those stones and then what did you do how did you name them
1: well she so then she said okay go find five stones that speak mm-hmm. to you and i'm a big rock person i mean if you, <laughs> me too <laughs> even in my home you'd see piles of rocks that i've picked up along my travels i believe they're the i believe they're the the strongest life force they're the oldest, right? They're the essence. They're pulling all of that. Just think of the the bones to dust to earth to rock, right? So totally
0: root chakra, right? Yeah, root oh. chakra,
1: and they they hold us. It just it, stones. They just feel like the essence of our vitality. So I'm glad. So you and I. Right there. I'm, I'm with mean, you. I'm going to say this to everybody because a lot of people are like, look at the rocks. No, I mean, I go, I, w- I was hiking to Everest Space Camp and
0: I was collecting rocks yeah. <laughs> in that backpack. And I have a holding of rocks that, from my hike. You know, I hear you. And it's so beautiful to hear you articulate the why of why that's important to probably many people, you know?
1: So I picked, I went and it was on this beautiful Weechull compound that my girlfriends and I, we were going there every year to hike in Sedona and this particular year the shaman was there and I booked an appointment with her and she said, go out and get the stones and um, bring them back to me. And then we sat there and she said okay, one of those stones is your fear. Your fear of the virus, your fear of dying. Pick it and place it Let's say we had a little cloth on the ground and place it. And then one of those stones is your anger and your blame. Who, who can I blame this? You know, whenever anything bad happens to us, we look around like, who can I blame? And I had plenty of people to blame. Believe oh, me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was, and that blame, you realize, goes all the way back. You know, that goes back. I mean, we are our our body and the things that happen to us are layered and layered um, mm-hmm. with the history of our experience. So when you have something that triggers anger, blame, then it goes back and it connects to all those other things. And so, it, in fact, I created a one one woman show about this called Trapped in Seven. Seven being the seven-year-old mentality when I had, when I became a victim because I, I I had some abuse at that age. And that's when the victim takes over, right? And so you see, so you see it layered. So anger blame, it's bigger than just the anger blame for the virus. And then place that. Where is that relationship to the fear? Is it right on top? Then one rock is the virus itself. It's an mm-hmm. organic virus. It's organic cells. Yeah? It's mm-hmm. right. Put that. Where is that? Um one is the self, just the body, the physical self. The self, the you say the self, the soul, physical body, the self, just um uh, pure.
0: The vessel of the body, the fist, phys- like do you mean that or
1: is it like I think soul, spirit, I think you all of it, spirit, okay I think your spirit, but also your it has because this is a virus, we're talking about the physical body too. Mm-hmm. And I think the soul is in the body. So the, the self. Okay. So then the self suddenly became in the middle of it all. And then, so I have fear, I have anger, blame, two, three is the virus, four is self, and five is love life force. Wow. So when I started, the love life source was way far away. It was way far away.
0: I mean, like you almost didn't act like yourself is the the rock self is in the middle and the other selves are around and love really was on far. top yeah the
1: fear and anger were abutting up right up on self and the love i mean i really hated myself i really felt like i've totally blown it in my life it's not my own um i'm rolling down a hill i you know like I was raised with such love and I've blown it. I'm a total, you know, I I just really hated myself for, for making what felt like a, a mistake that there was no going back from. And so that's of course, what the shaman was helping me with was every day, you know, moving those rocks so that the, the virus was still with me, but not on top of me. And this, the more the, the love life force kept you know, coming in closer, the more I could let go of the anger blame. And of course, the fear is the vital one, because as I said, the, the fear, there's something about being a warrior, a she hero, is about stepping into, it's a good day to die. Today's a good day to die. I am, I am accepting the card that I pull. I'm accepting life as it is today. I do have the virus. I, I will not uh, beat myself up for it. I'm just going to move with this virus to the best immune system. You know What can I do that will support my body um, and try to live as long as possible. So I'm 63 now. I did not think that I would live past 40.
0: In part two of our interview, Faye shares her insight into the death of the self that she thought she was and what surrender has meant to her in her life. Here we are with, with these, um, these stones. You're kind of looking at them. You got 14 days ahead of you now what?
1: (laughs) Well, so I think that the healing that, that happens during, you know, we're hiking every day and then I'm meeting her in the evening. Um, and there was just a sort of an unraveling. There's a a kind of what you would call, I know in the, in the journey, the Joseph Campbell journey, there's a, a death. And I think that death is was happened during that time, which is the death of the ego. The death of the ego, and I think ego is not a negative word, and I don't use it that way, but I, mm-hmm. the death of the self that we thought we were. And that self was all about, let me do this really well, so I'm the best. Let me do this really well, so I'm the best. I want to be the best. I want to have the best. I want to do the... And there's a sense of surrender to life and and in a way that it does, I really feel gifted by this now because of course my whole body of work, the lucid body is based on this. And that healing process, which was, yes, it was two weeks with the shaman, but that, I mean, it's years, years of trying to, with the Buddhism and the chakra work, it's trying to stay What would normally be someone older and wiser? You know, they say older people are wiser because they're closer to death. They start seeing, wait, why am I worrying about this when my life is, I can see the end of my life. I want to just radiate compassion. I want to just spend my time with people that are worth spending time with. I don't want to spend my time complaining about details that, who cares? So this is what happened to me, at a, at a young age. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. thirty three, you know, I'm like feeling like this is, <laughs> you know, this is this life today is so brilliant. You know, the sixth chakra just got very very bright. I remember the moment that I found out about the HIV. I, was in the middle of that rotunda, that 79 suit, it's a circle. I think it's a magic spot. And ah, my sixth brow pineal, intuitive, wide lens, my eyesight got so wide like I was in this magic bubble. And life seems so precious and so fascinating. And I wanted to just gobble it up. And I think that's, that's the spiritual journey. I think that's that when that whole idea of accepting impermanence, yes, it means death, but it also means age. You know, like the idea that people are always trying to hide their age or they're embarrassed about the age. Are you kidding? I am so lucky that I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel so happy for each year. Why wouldn't I celebrate? That I'm this age now, and this age, that 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 ageism that we have in this country, you know, that especially for women, that we should be hiding our age, we should not look our age, we should all of that is just such a uh, it's a it's a disrespect for life and for the the tenacity it takes to to survive right? So I know I I have a different view because I am a survivor. Many of the people at that point did not survive. And I am grateful and thankful. Um, But it changed, just changed how to go about who my friends are. So you talk about
0: making two cups of tea in your video. This idea of making friends with death and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that in terms of moving through the ordeal in one's Shiro's journey.
1: With my particular circumstance, I did not take any of that early medicine for the first 10 years. People were taking medicine. It was, it was killing them, which was why I was a little funny about taking this COVID vaccine. I was like, no.
0: Oh. <laughs> Um, Uh, medicine's changed a bit, I guess, you know, so we have to, you know,
1: take, make our choices on that one. But then when the triple drug medicine came out with Magic Mm -hmm. Johnson, when he was the one, um, then I started taking that and now I'm fine. My immune system is fine. It's called zero negative. I don't have any trace of anything. I'm yeah, I, so, so that time period that, of where there, it was, I'm not sure I'm going to live. Making friends with death allowed—it's a a daily meditation of recognizing that life is that life could end. I don't know how else to say it. It's just.
0: Well, I think that what you you know what what you're saying and what I'm hearing you say is just that you know in a way we sort of feel like we we can live forever at some point and. At some point, we recognize that that's the illusion of all human beings coming into the world, they somehow think that, and that at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, we recognize our impermanence and everything's impermanence and transition, whether that be the end of a project, the end of a semester, the end of a job, the end of a marriage, the end of childhood and so there's all these little deaths that are happening all the time and the more attachment one has to them the more pain one experiences but the more open-hearted the more accepting the more we can have tea and befriend you know all of these experiences that leads to more rebirth and that leads me to ask you about the birth of the lucid body and to talk a little bit about that incredible body of work and the mentoring
1: and the teaching and all that you have created uh, to share with people. Yeah, this it was not my plan. As I told you earlier, my plan was <laughs> a famous and incredible choreographer, director, uh, but this, this started to go in a different direction. So it's interesting that because I was basically fighting for my life, Working with the sh- chakra centers, trying to understand the immune system, again, that first 10 years before I, I had any medicine, I was trying to beat the clock. Um, I I As a dancer, choreographer, I started to do work that could express the emotions that were stuck in me. Let's say anger towards my ex-husband. Uh, I wonder if anyone else could resonate with that one. <laughs> <just saying. laughs> yeah, ex-husband anger towards uh, uh, anger towards um, myself at leaving relationships I shouldn't have. You know, all of this stuff that um, that is repressed in our repressed is held in our memory bodies, mm-hmm. and I started to realize that if I could ex- fully express that in in a piece, in a, a choreographed piece of fully, you know, it's what Peter Levine talks about when you go back to trauma and you allow the body to re re express and activate what it couldn't activate during that traumatic. It's the same thing with our emotional, physical bodies. If I can go back, I played, I basically did a portrait of my husband and it was, it was really, um,
0: in movement was that in
1: movement? It was or movement I- and song, and I did a mm-hmm. movement. I played him, and uh, he was pretty impressed with it. Actually, I played him, and I played him singing, <laughs> and uh, I worked with Andy Rosen. He was the composer. It was a good piece. It got it got some tension but I wanted to be. I wanted to express his viewpoint, so I could have more compassion for him. So, I didn't have that anger, resentment stuck in my body. And I started to realize, and then we, you know, all the years of my daughter is, we were quite friendly. It really, it really moved. He was very supportive. He educated her, you know, so that, that that's so good to get that anger
0: out. Yeah. And and somatic movement, right? People would talk a lot more about
1: that these days, somatic
0: movement mm-hmm.
1: somatic of the body that the experiences that the body is holding and that can be then have to be recognized by the body because the mind sometimes does sort of cliché things right but when the body goes no no this is the anger that actually this is it and you can see i can see when i'm working with actors they drop into a place that's real for them as opposed to indicated so and that's the, the joy of movement and 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 dance is that it it's larger than life therefore it activates it activates true greed true lust true power you know it activates love in a way because your body is 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 expressing it and then and the repetition of movement will engage that that emotional connection michael chekhov talks about this with psychological gesture
0: I mean, aren't humans, though, aren't we just meant to move our bodies? Like like, if you look back pre-industrial era or go back to our roots of our roots, whether it be Celtic or African or Asian or Native American, there's there's this history of of movement and embodiment. and it seems like if anyone could watch us, we're <laughs> both swaying right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's like, I'm curious because it seems like you're tapping into something that is so necessary and so primal
1: and so important for people to tap into. Yeah. And rit- ritual, ritual, ritual. So important when you talk about those other cultures, you know, the circle like warriors would come home and they would, they would express their pain that they've, you know, they've been, killed and killing and all of that that we see our veterans embody but in those in those more primal primitive cultures the whole community would take it on and to be clear every every
0: color of skin every race has a has a primitive culture. Do you know right. what I mean? If you want to call it that, a root yeah. culture. Yeah. And so it it doesn't matter. You know, I know now is a time to be sensitive about always to be sensitive cultural appropriation and those sorts of things. But I think every single one of us can look back into the roots of our
1: roots and connect to what you are talking about right now, the lucid body. The sense of ritual. So so basically what happened was I started, I got a job at the National Shakespeare Conservatory. You know, my daughter was about four. I felt I could start to work. And uh, I started putting these pieces together. So the chakra centers started to, they, they became character tools. So, uh, so now what the work does is it starts by giving each actor time to look at where they are. They're given circumstances. My given circumstances, right? My I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of siblings. Therefore, there's a competitive nature in my body, just naturally. Okay, that's where I am raised with my given circumstances. And we try to get the students to look without judgment at how their personality, their nervous system has been constructed, the survival body. I call it right. Then you look at that clearly, and you start to go. Then we move into the chakra areas that are not used, not comfortable. So that let's say there was a real taboo around sexual uh, feelings and contact, maybe that actor then will have to move into that pelvis in a way to to start to very slowly and safely start to find the natural impulses that have not been developed. But the actor wants to have a full palate. And so it's a very wonderful opportunity for healing and holistic work because the actor has to expand. Because this work is good for anybody, but you don't have as many willing people. Actors have to expand. They have to play everybody. They have to be able to move out of their comfort zone and play people whose given circumstances are completely, entirely different, many times tragic. So they have to understand their own potential. So that's where the lucid body came from me starting to diagnose myself, what needs to be expressed, where am I repressed, where am I holding angry, anger, and then realizing that I could do the same with my students.
0: I read a quote recently, and it said something like, if you want to write a good book, live it. And so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you have lived into... this experience of creating a very authentic uh, way of teaching and coaching people. Now you're at NYU these days, right? Is that correct? But you also have a studio, a private studio. And from there, the average human who's willing to dig in could also
1: join. Is that right? Yes. The Lucid Body House. It's been mostly virtual, but we're starting to go back to the studio, which has managed, thanks to my nice landlord, has managed to stay open. And I'm I'm doing hybrid classes now. So hybrid meaning Wonderful. you can come live or you can join on Zoom. So we're sneaking back into. Fantastic. No, that is so important. And it's so,
0: I think there are more and more journeyers out there recognizing, especially, you know, we were talking about going into the Inmost Cave in the last episode and this idea of, of you know you're in this deep place of trying to figure things out of 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 being almost quarantined if you will with yourself yeah. and then beginning to come out into experience this or, ordeal viscerally right what is that and then to move it and you're talking about how you move
1: through the ordeals right yeah that cave was probably for me that self hatred and the feeling it, that overwhelming feeling like I, I had really blown it. I had done something there was no going back from, and everyone was affected And my, I mean, it was just such self-blame and guilt. And that's just, no, you can't, you can't get out of bed with that feeling. So that's the cave. And then for me, it was just facing the idea of, um, okay, I might die in the next five years, but what's this five years look like? What's this day look like? (laughs) I became very, very, very um, prolific. I choreographed a lot, a lot. I was so, because I felt like I was going to die. Before that, it was like, oh, there's so many good choreographers out there. What do I have to say? And I I got very ferocious and fearless about doing whatever I wanted to do and living life, being very independent. And and I think that shows up in, in my daughter. I think that she reaped the benefit of that. Ferocious. Thank you for your ferocious,
0: fierce, beautiful energy. This has been amazing. <laughs> I am so grateful. Namaste.
1: <laughs> so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being interested.
0: I have a feeling that Faye Simpson's inspirational wisdom will help you on your journey. Find out when her next workshops and trainings are by going to lucidbody.com, where you can also order her fantastic book, which I happen to have a copy of as well. Now, coming up, me and the kid, where you get my 11-year-old son's perspective on the ordeal. P.S. He will be 12, April 16th. She rose journey. She arose journey. Me and, and the, the kid. kid. the kid. <laughs> Me and the kid. Yeah. Hi, Harrison. Hi, mom. How you doing? Pretty darn good. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, today we are talking about the ordeal and I know you've had some challenges this year with school. And, yeah. yeah, I know. Well, who let, hasn't though, right? Let's
2: be fair. Okay. It's not been challenges with my
0: grades as
2: much as challenges with getting to do my school as much because so
0: you're you're talking about that whole COVID thing that everybody's stressing out about right Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah no but you're not the only one and I, I imagine you know first of all I'm really proud of you because you're working through this stuff and uh second of all you know I imagine, you know, other people could learn from some of your thoughts. So first of all, what does it feel like when you're in the midst of the lowest of the low? Do you remember a day or a time that you felt like that a little bit? Admittedly, almost every day. A little, Well, I think you felt like that a little bit today. Do you remember that? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And you just were, I remember you, you were kind of frustrated and almost like just angry and sad. You were even sad a little bit today. Do you remember that?
2: Well, yeah, because I did like eight assignments and only got 1% done. Yeah. Let me, qu- quickly, I'm going to explain like how my school works. Mm-hmm. There's a certain percentage I have to do by a certain time yeah. in assignments. And usually one assignment equals one percentage, but I did five assignments and only got 2% done. I was quite frustrated. So.
0: people could relate to that. Sometimes you think you've done a lot of work and you only move the needle a little bit forward. And you just feel like, geez, man, I'm working so hard. Um, And so it's no fun to be in that place. But what are your choices when you're in that place, when you're feeling that kind of deep frustration?
2: Well, I'd say one of the feelings I feel is probably sadness, Mm -hmm. um, anger, Mm. other stuff. Yeah, I hear you. Because I feel like there's two main bad feelings you'd call them mm. but I, I they're not necessarily bad but they're, mm, they're feelings mm-hmm. two main categories are mad and sad that kind of link together and they also expand like with sad there's depressed down
0: <laughs>
2: whereas anger is mm. like i'd say
0: unforgiving enraged stuff do you like ever that. get angry or sad at yourself Oh,
2: um, mad with mad at you,
0: like it, like
2: maybe, maybe I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't even really say that myself because it's like it's something that people around you can see, but it's mm. harder for yourself to
0: see that. Good point. Good point. So, when you're in those tough places, what helps you get out of it? What helps you move through it? Well, um.
2: I mean there's physical things like Ooh. some people like they have like stuffed animals that make them feel mm-hmm. good or some people read but like my friend Hayden, he loves to read books when he's not feeling good. Or you good.
0: could go play play nerf football with your mom outside, that's helpful. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah I, yeah, I guess
2: that's one of them as well.
0: <laughs> Playing soccer, you have like a you know sometimes just knowing you're gonna run outside and kick a ball around that can help too, yeah. right? Yeah. So physical activities can be helpful when you're feeling a little bit down and frustrated. Any other thoughts? Encouragement. People out there getting getting through this COVID. I thing, mean, yeah, encouragement.
2: Sure, but like, mm-hmm. I think I'd say for encouragement Mm -hmm. probably no day repeats itself like even if you have a bad day maybe you have the worst day there's a point where it's not going to keep getting worse and it eventually will get better because when it's so bad Mm -hmm. you know there is no farther bad to go like there's there's and also in general stuff changes it's not Mm -hmm. like it's not like it's a continuous, endless stretch. Mm-hmm. It is a ongoing thing that will shift and move just like the waves, like mm. in the ocean, where some days it's really windy and wavy and the waves get really big and stuff. Some days it's calm and and, and there's no waves really at all. That, so that's kind of, I think, a pretty decent analogy for life.
0: So, yeah. I think that's a pretty decent analogy for life. So yeah, hang on, friends. If it's rough waters now, waves will smooth out later. Yep. <laughs> I love you, Harrison. Love you, Mom. Mm. Best kid. Lucky to have this kiddo. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode.
2: Thanks for joining us on Cheers Journey Podcast. You'll find extra info and links in the show notes. Also, please make sure to visit us on dot Journey.com where you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you liked our show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on iTunes. And it would be great if you told a friend about us too.
0: Thanks Harrison, and thank you listeners for joining us and bravely traversing your own journey. By the way, if you do want to see more of my wise kidlet, you can find all of the videograms of me and the kid on our Shiro's Journey IG page or just type in Shiro's Journey on YouTube and you'll find us there as well. Happy birth month to my son and his auntie, my sister, Christy. I love that my sister and my son share a birthday Also, my special Shiro shout outs go to Faye Simpson, a truly gifted artist, author, and wise woman I am privileged to know. Thank you so much, Faye, for sharing your deep and inspiring stories of healing through your experience of the ordeal. Thanks also to my fearless production assistant and always superstar Shiro, Emma Byrd. For her awesome designs and endless, endless positivity. Mike Tota, podcast producer, Randy Savage for the show sweepers, toured Bunk who composed the original music for my show, and big love to the awesome Shiros and supporters in my life. You know who you are. And of course, a gigantic shout out to all the Shiros in the world and the people who love them. Find your light in the darkness. You are loved. You got this climbing those mountains and slaying those dragons see you next time